Every day I receive, I counted up the other day, an average of about 120 emails every single day. And some of you think that's a, a low number. Some of you get even more than that. I read probably three of them. <laughs> but uh, um, my age is reminding me that I'm getting, or my emails are reminding me that age is getting higher because, thank you, I'm going to need that in a little bit. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, some of the emails that I get now are for senior luxury apartments. <laughs> and I've been receiving burial insurance emails uh, lately. So I, I guess when uh, they find out that you're over 50, that they want to start sending you all these things. So now these are the ones that actually show up in my inbox. I have also that filter that you probably do as well on your email system that automatically sends some of those emails to your junk folder. And so out of curiosity this week, I opened up that folder to see what was there, and I have some really good news for you. Apparently, there's a Christian widow in Nigeria whose husband is a doctor and has worked for an embassy for years who has several million dollars that she would like to give to our church. But because she is dying and she is childless, she wants somebody to share it with. And she heard about us from an undisclosed, unnamed acquaintance. See, the name of PFN must be getting out there somehow. And uh, it's just going to cost us a few thousand dollars up front. Um, but that's going to be more than made up by the millions of dollars that she's going to give us. And not only that, is I if one of those emails that I received, if I, click, if I just click on the link and give them just a little bit of banking information, then they're going to automatically send me a $500 Shell gift card. Isn't that, isn't that good news? Man, that is awesome. So we're just waiting. Uh, we need your help for Southside. We're just waiting, though, for the millions just to show up at any time. And I know from your faces that some of you don't believe me, and rightfully so. We know that these emails that we get from time to time are scams, and we know that we can't believe everything that we read. Some things just aren't true, right? There's no dying widow in Nigeria that's waiting to give PFN millions of dollars. There is no one wanting to send me a $500 gas card if I click on a link. So if we can't believe everything that we read, how do we decide what we should believe in? How do we know if we should believe in something or not? Think of the, the things that we, we probably should take uh, uh, or believe is true. Uh, warning labels on medicine. Hmm. Sometimes we follow those, so sometimes we don't. I mean, do they really mean that I shouldn't operate heavy equipment after taking that medication? Really? Right? How about the meteorologist warnings during inclement weather, right? Do we really need to take shelter? Really? I'm sure all of you would say that these are things we need to trust in because they could be significant for the outcome of our life. Although... The one night on Man Church when we had the tornado warning, when all of us had to go from refuge to the tornado shelter, half of the men opened up the doors to see if they could see the tornado that night. <laughs> it's true. Absolutely true. So, 
But we have to learn to judge truth from falsehood, don't we? And we have to know the difference between the things that matter and the things that don't in our life. And we have to discern whether the information that we are getting uh, is true or false. Some things are pretty easy to figure out, like there is no Nigerian widow, um, but other things are a lot harder to discern their viability. And so we're going into this second message of this I Believe series, and today is I Believe in the Bible, or we could title it, Can I Trust the Bible? And so this isn't so much as a message from the Bible as it is a message about the Bible. People must understand and know why we believe in the Bible. It's because the Bible is the the source of what we know about Jesus Christ. It's all of what we know about the salvation and how to obtain it. And it's all of what we know concerning how we should live our lives in order to glorify God. And it's contained in the pages of the Bible. And that book, if it's true, will affect every aspect of our life, not only here on earth, but also our eternal life. So what support is there that this is in fact the word of God? And that we should believe the words written on the pages of the Bible. And so to answer that question, we're going to begin looking at some of the evidence to determine whether the Bible is trustworthy or not, which is going to help us to discern whether or not we should believe in the Bible. See, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. It's also the most shoplifted book of all time, which is always seemed very ironic to me. But it's not just the print versions of God's word. Some of you on your smartphone, on your device that you carry in your pocket, have downloaded the U version of the Bible app. Just that one Bible app, just that one, has now been downloaded over 500 million times. 500 million million times. That's just one of many Bible apps that are out there for you. So the underlying question is this, is it intellectually feasible for me to believe in the Bible? Is the Bible trustworthy? So let's look at the evidence. If you're taking notes here, follow along with me. The first thing that we're going to do is scrutinize the sources of the Bible. Whenever we investigate the believability of something, we need to look into its sources, right? And first, we need to know what the Bible actually says about itself. If we look at the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, remember Matthew is one of the gospel writers. He's one of the eyewitnesses. He's one of the four guys that wrote about the life of Jesus. And in that verse, he says this, Jesus answered, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we're not just talking about uh, on Sundays where we get to hear a sermon or a Sunday school class or when we meet with a Bible study, those kind of things. We're talking about the Holy Scriptures, God's Word. And in the Bible, we find find that Scripture also says that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture 
is God breathed. One of the followers of Jesus, Peter, wrote in, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, that prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Bible says that it's the word of God, but that doesn't make it so, right? Anyone can make claims about themselves, but that doesn't make it true. So, so um, not only do we want to see what the Bible says about itself, but let's scrutinize some other sources to find out if they are reliable or not. How can we be sure that what we are reading in our Bible is actually what God intended for us to be reading? Is what we have today an accurate interpretation of what God told those writers thousands of years ago? And so we are reading what God wanted us to read. So let's ask the question, are the early manuscripts reliable? See, the earliest manuscripts that we had were, were handwritten copies. And today, if I want to copy something, it's really easy for me to do it because on my computer screen, I just need to copy and then paste it. And the exact same thing will show up on a new document. But if years ago, if I wanted to copy God's word, if I want to make a copy of the Bible, I would have to hand write an entire copy. And so if I'm skeptical about this, maybe some things over the years have been changed. Maybe some things by these scribes that were uh, employed to uh, copy the Bible, maybe some things have been altered over time. Perhaps what we have today isn't an accurate interpretation of what was originally written. So let's look at that. The truth is that today we can still be very confident that what we have in front of us is an accurate interpretation of what those authors actually wrote back then. That's because the scribes who copied scripture took their jobs very seriously. And they had all kinds of safeguards to ensure that what they produced was an accurate and reliable copy. See, there was a systematic plan by, by these scribes for copying the Bibles. They were probably copying one page over and over and over again. They were responsible for one page. And so they knew how many words, they knew how many letters were supposed to be on every single line of their copy. They knew how many lines there were supposed to be in a book. They knew the middle word on every single line so they could easily look to see if it was accurate. They knew the middle line of every single page so they could scan to see if it was in the right place. And they did all of this to double check that what they were transcribing was an exact copy over and over again. And so, all right, pastor, so they made them as accurate as possible. And, and I don't care how many safeguards you make. Sometimes people make mistakes, right? We just make mistakes. Men make mistakes. So let's look at the number of copies of these old manuscripts that we have. See, right now, we know of about 24 to 25,000 early manuscripts 
of the Bible. 24,000 early manuscripts. That's a pretty big deal. See, nobody questions some of the old ancient writers whether they're true or not or whether they wrote them or not, right? Nobody questions whether Plato actually wrote what Plato wrote. Nobody thinks, well, maybe he didn't really say that, right? But we have only seven copies of Plato's work. And the copies that we have are he wrote uh, his works 350 years before Jesus was born. And the earliest copies that we have of his work are dated 1,200 years later. The New Testament. The New Testament has 24,000 early copies All right, and when we compare them to one another, uh, we see that the earliest copy that we have of the New Testament was written about in the year 125. That's about 25 years after the last book of the New Testament would have been written. There is zero comparison between what we have in the New Testament and the early writings of like Aristotle or Plato. There are more copies of the Bible to compare than there are even texts of Shakespeare. Nobody is questioning the accuracy of Shakespeare. When we compare those early Bible texts, we can't find any errors that would have been missed in part of that copying process. No theological big errors, nothing like that. Having many, many, many copies to compare to should help us to be assured of the accuracy of what we have in front of us today. But there's more than that. Uh, There was a discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Perhaps you'd have heard about that. Um, The discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls has helped us to confirm the accuracy of this process. For it was up until the discovery of these Dead Sea Scrolls, the oldest copy that we had of the book of of Isaiah was dated about 900 A.D. That was the oldest copy that mankind could ever find was the book of Isaiah dated 900 A.D. But in the Dead Sea Scrolls, there's almost a complete manuscript of the book of Isaiah, and it's dated 100 B.C., a thousand years prior. And when we compared, not we, I had nothing to do with it. When they compared that old manuscript with the ones that we had a thousand years later, it was a 95% match word for word. The only, that 5% difference was spelling variations and might've been a missed word here or there. That's it. So this copying process that existed back then proved very, very accurate. So, okay, maybe we can trust that the manuscripts from which the the Bible is translated were accurate, recordings of the authors. But even if it's accurate, maybe we need to say, is it true? You know, if a liar writes something down and somebody else copies it, I may have an accurate recording of what the liar said, but that doesn't make it true. 
So this is where we have to test the truthfulness of the Bible, right? We need to see if what we have accurately recorded for us is actually reliable. Can it be checked against reality? And so let's ask the question, are these guys that wrote the Bible, are they reliable? Can we trust them? Can we trust these guys? Or were they just a bunch of liars? Did they make up this whole Christianity thing for their benefit? Because we might see that today. We might see somebody starting some sort of religion or some sort, they do it for money or maybe some power or uh, maybe they're just some mental whack job. I don't know. And they're just making something up. But what about the apostles? What about these guys that wrote these early manuscripts? Did they have anything to gain for starting up Christianity? See, these guys that wrote especially the New Testament, had nothing, had no benefit whatsoever. There was absolutely no earthly gain from what they were proclaiming. Every single one of them suffered. Every single one of them suffered for what they were proclaiming. And as they went around proclaiming this gospel message, I want you to listen to what happened to them. Acts chapter 5 verse 40 says this, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. You know, that's, that's nothing to skimp at. Flogged was a severe beating. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. All because of what they were preaching that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus in fact did die for our sins, that Jesus did in fact raise from the dead, and that we need to trust him for our salvation. And for that message that they wrote and that they preached, they were beaten, they were flogged, and some of them were killed. Listen to Acts chapter 12. It says, it, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that that pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Suffering, persecution, and death were the reward these apostles received for preaching the gospel. And yet, they did it. These same guys who faithlessly fled from Jesus on the night that he was arrested are now fearless proclaimers of the truth. Fearless proclaimers that Jesus Christ did in fact die, but yet he rose from the dead. And we may say, well, pastor, maybe they were just overzealous, right? Uh, perhaps they were just fanatics. I mean, people still today die for what they believe is true. What's the difference between them and these apostles? Well, there's a huge difference between that. These guys whose story we read about in the New Testament knew that what they were proclaiming was 100% true. They weren't even proclaiming it by faith. They saw it happen. John chapter 20, verse 29 says, Then Jesus told them, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. 
And so these guys whose story we read about are some of the actual authors themselves. These were the guys who placed their fingers, placed their hands in the nail holes in Jesus's hands. These were the guys that saw Thomas put his hand in Jesus's side. Some of these guys actually saw Jesus die and then three days later walk among them. These are the guys who are now willing to die for what they know, not for what they think, but what they know is true. And if they were proclaiming, if what they were proclaiming weren't true, would they have been willing to suffer and die for it? If they knew it was a lie, would they have been willing to die for it? Not only can we test the truthfulness of these stories and see that the Bible is reliable, but let's also ask this question. Is the history that the Bible has in it, is it accurate? Is the history accurate? See, if the Bible is the word of God, then I don't think God is going to go around making a whole bunch of mistakes regarding history. I mean, we're talking about the one who knows history before it actually ever happens, right? So why would he put a whole bunch of errors about history in his word? Is the Bible historically accurate? Over time, the Bible has been proven to be incredibly accurate regarding history. Archaeology has confirmed so many historical facts that until they proved it with archaeology, the only thing they had to look at was the pages of God's word. Well, there's a couple things on your handout there. One of them are the Hittites. One of the major arguments against the historical accuracy of the Bible was there was a lack of evidence that this group of people called the Hittites ever, ever lived. And, and history or modern modernity would say that these people never existed, that the, these are just made up people in the Bible. The Old Testament mentions these people 61 times. And until the start of the 20th century, we thought they were a fabrication that they never existed. And critics of the Bible scoffed at the, this mention because there was no evidence in archaeology whatsoever that the Hittite people were actual real people. But in the early 1900s, we found evidence of the Hittite people in Turkey. And it once again showed the historical accuracy of God's Word. And we're not just talking about maybe just a couple little pieces of broken pottery that we think might have belonged to the Hittite people. 10,000 tablets written by the Hittite civilization have now been found. There have been discoveries that continue to this day to confirm that there were these people groups, there were these people, there were these places that the Bible mentioned. So many times archaeology has now caught up to the Bible. For example, in 1993, archaeologists found a uh, historical writing that mentioned the king of Israel and later on even went to call him the king from the house of David. See, the people that we read in God's word were real people. They walked the earth, they lived and they breathed and their stories have been proven 
by science today. A noted noted archaeologic, whatever he is. (laughs) This guy was quoted in the New New York Times. Listen to this. No discovery has ever been made that contradicts the historical statements of Scripture. That's a pretty bold claim, isn't it? Archaeology has been a great friend, in fact, to Christianity. All right, Pastor. So maybe the apostles and the prophets are are reliable. Uh, Maybe the history is accurately recorded. What about all those prophecies that the that the Bible has. I mean, can we test those? Are, are they really true as well? See, one would think that if this were not a book from God, then the sheer number of these prophetic statements would be quite a stumbling block for Christianity. All we would need to do is prove that they didn't come true or just prove that they are inaccurate. Now, some of the prophecies in the Bible still have yet to be fulfilled. And so it could be challenging for us to make this argument, but let's look at some of them that we know have. There are prophecies for a whole bunch of different things in the Bible. We're going to look at just a a couple that are about Christ. These are the messianic prophecies that are about Jesus himself, that claim that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. And all right, I've heard this argument too. Well, if, if Jesus knew the prophecies, couldn't he just have made sure that they were coming true when he was living, right? I mean, after all, he did tell the disciples to go and get a donkey so that the prophecy would be fulfilled. Good argument. But there's a whole bunch of things that he would have had no control over whatsoever, So, some of those are regarding his death and his lineage. Let's look at some of those. His lineages. The Messiah would have been born in Bethlehem. It's in Micah 5.2. I don't think Jesus had much to do with that decision, do you? It's not like he spoke to Mary from the womb and said, Hey, Mom, we better get to Bethlehem. This thing's going to happen, right? It didn't happen. The Messiah would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7:14. The Messiah would be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and the tribe of Judah, a descendant of King David. And there's so many other prophecies concerning his lineages and his lineage and his death. The Messiah would be silent in front of his accusers. Isaiah 53, verse 7. The Messiah would be mocked, Psalm 22, verse 7. The Messiah's hands and feet would be pierced, Psalm 22, verse 16. The Messiah would die having never sinned or any deceit ever coming from his mouth, Isaiah 53, verse 9. And these are just a few. All these things are true about Jesus. They have been verified by the New Testament. But what's the probability that these things actually came true? So let's, let's take the chances uh, that just one of these prophecies about Jesus were true. Let's just look at one of these prophecies, and that's that the Messiah would be born in the city of Bethlehem. 
I didn't do this work. There was a mathematician in his class calculated this one time. They compared the population of Bethlehem at the time with the rest of the population. And they found out that the chances of a baby being born that year in the city of Bethlehem was one in 300,000. Okay. And so then they calculated the, uh, the odds of one man just fulfilling eight, just eight of those messianic prophecies. And they came up with this figure. The chances of that happening, just eight of them were one in 10 to the 17th power. That's a one with 17 zeros after it, right? This is what they wrote about this discovery. If you mark one of 10 tickets and place all the tickets in a hat and thoroughly stir them up and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one, his chance of getting the right ticket is one in 10, right? Suppose that we take 10 to the 17th power silver dollars and lay them all over the face of the state of Texas. They would cover the entire state two feet deep. Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir up that whole mass all over the state and ask that blindfolded man to travel as far as he wishes, but he has to pick up that one silver dollar with your mark on it. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had in writing eight prophecies and having them all come true in one man. But there weren't just eight prophecies written about Jesus. There were 456 prophecies written about Jesus. And we're going to talk about this more next week when we have the, uh, the message, I believe in Jesus. See, when we scrutinize the sources, we see that they're reliable. When we test the truthfulness, uh, we find that the Bible has been extremely accurate. But remember that verse from 1 Timothy that says, all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The next verse after that says that this is so, so that man or woman might be equipped for every good work. So perhaps I think the best evidence of the truth of the Bible is in the lives of those that it has changed even today. Listen to what God says about his word, which was written by over 40 different people over 1,500 years. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And these passages make an outstanding claim that God's word has been inspired by God himself. But more than that, that we can experience God through his word today. So if you want proof of that the Bible is real, if you want proof that the Bible, the words contained in it are from God, I want you to watch this. By a show of hands, 
just in this room. Raise your hand if Scripture has ever spoken to you in a way that changed your thinking, in a way that changed your actions, or a way that changed your path in life. If that's true for you, raise your hand. How much more proof do you need? How much more proof do we need? That's all the proof we need. Ask, ask Shakespeare to do that, right? Shakespeare's only bored me in high school. That's the only thing he's ever done for me. See, the evidence that the Bible is the word of God is significant. It is, it's credible. It's tr from trustworthy sources. It's historically accurate. It records prophecy and shows a supernatural fulfillment of it. And it has the power still today, still today to change the people's lives by believing the message within it is true. <sighs> so maybe you've never accepted what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. If today you've been brought to believe that the Bible is God's word and you believe its message, then maybe your next step is to do what the Bible says in regards to your salvation. First John verse 12 says, yet to all who have received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right for you to become children of God. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you need to receive Jesus as your savior, would you confess to him that need as we close in prayer today? Heavenly Father, we thank you for an incredibly accurate for an incredibly truthful word from you. We thank you, Lord, that we have your word on our phones, on our computer, in a book form. Maybe it's time. Maybe it would be time for us to open up the app or blow the dust off of the book and hear from you. We know, Lord, that you speak to us in a variety of ways, but you speak directly to us through your word, your true, your accurate word. And so, Lord, if there is maybe somebody here today who just needed that little bit of a nudge to say, yeah, I've heard all this stuff about Jesus, but it all is in the Bible. Can I trust that? I hope today that they can, Lord. I hope today that they see that the, the evidence is overwhelming. So Lord, maybe today would be a day that somebody here would put their trust in you. I say to you, I still don't have it figured out, but I believe you are who you said you are. I believe you did die for my sins. And I want to accept that gift in my life. I pray, Lord, that that truth would hit somebody today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here with us today. Thank you, Lord, for taking us a step closer to you. You don't have to prove yourself at all. But yet, 
when I looked at this sanctuary and almost every hand was raised, that's proof enough that you are who you say you are and that your word is true. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.